0: So uh, today, again, being that it's kind of a different format, uh, a couple weeks ago in staff meeting, Becca brought, I don't know, 20 questions to us that were asked by children in the kids' ministry. And we got a pretty good kick out of some of these questions. But in all reality, these questions were fairly deep. And so as we were talking through these questions, we were saying, how how are we going to respond to the children? And we thought... Hey, on Family Sunday, instead of even staying in 2 Peter, this was to be the week that we'd be wrapping up the series we'd be in. Um, let's put that off, and let's actually talk through three of the questions or the themes that we see the kids asking um, in their questions. And it was funny, we, we had, uh, one, of the, one of them was, um, what is faith and how do I get it? Which is pretty cool. Uh, which was a common theme, actually. Faith was a common theme throughout a lot of the questions. One was, uh, what is a disciple and how do I get them? And, uh, which was pretty awesome. And so there was this theme of discipleship, which is pretty neat to hear the children talking about being a disciple and how to make disciples. And then, uh, and then another theme that we saw was, uh, how do I love people who are mean to me? And, um, and some of the questions were heartbreaking, just seeing through the eyes of a child, the, the experiences that they have in school and um, in their neighborhoods and within their families on a regular basis, and, and yet sometimes we can kind of overlook these kids' questions and think for us adults, this is just elementary stuff, we need the deep meat. Um, but in all honesty, uh, as we began to process these three themes as a staff, we thought these are really good things to circle back around to as adults, um, that, that we have a proper understanding of what faith is, that we have a proper understanding of what a disciple is and, and how we make them, um, and that we have a proper understanding of how it is we love those who mistreat us. Um, anybody mistreated in the last couple of weeks in this room? Only a couple of you, that's good. Um, anybody thought through recently what exactly a disciple is and what it looks like to actually make disciples, as Jesus says in his word? Uh, anybody in this room ever thought through the idea of like what is actually faith? Like when I, I hear it used in Christian circles all the time, but like what is it? What is faith? And, and so this morning we just want to bite off those, those three questions. Um, and again, as much as um, like Heather and I are consistently amazed with the questions that our kids ask. Any of you parents kind of amazed sometimes when your kids ask these really deep questions. I remember one of our sons, when he was little, asked us, "Um, so I know there's Jesus, and I know there's the Holy Spirit, and I know there's God, like, how does that all work together? And Heather and I were like, oh, that's a really good question. Uh, And and your kids ask you questions sometimes that um, actually cause us to dig into the Word and do some research ourselves and have better understanding as to what the answer to these are. And so this morning, there's a couple of you that I'm hoping to hit. I'm hoping that these can answer some of the questions for the kids. Like, I'm gonna try to talk to kids as well as I can, even though it makes me so stinking nervous to talk to children. Um, I'm way more comfortable in front of adults. <laughs> um, but also, I, I, I hope that there's adults in this room that are looking for answers to those questions, And I'm hoping that there's parents in this room that are looking for answers to these these questions to educate their children as your kids ask these questions of you. And so um, let's pray, and then we'll dig in. Jesus, we thank you for this time, and we thank you for your word, God. We know that we can lean on your word to instruct us and to guide us, to be a framework for us, and even as we ask these three questions this morning, God Um, we can find the answers to it in your word. And so I pray, um, Lord, that we would not veer from just simply diving into your word and looking for answers instead of trying to conjure up answers on our own in our own opinions. Jesus, I pray that this morning you'd guide this conversation, and um, Lord, may you be exalted and honored and worshiped in this place, Jesus. I pray that we could all leave here this morning um, with a better understanding of these three things as well in your name. Amen. So what is faith and how do we get it? Anybody ever asked that question? What is faith? So if we're, if we're going to um, start with that question, um, I think we need to turn to the book of Hebrews as this book probably gives one of the best definitions of faith in all of the Bible. So Hebrews uh, is this really helpful image for me to think about when I think of the way that the book of Hebrews is constructed it 's constructed it 's this amazing book like it 's anonymous of sorts we don 't necessarily know who wrote it, um, but most speculate that maybe Paul did. but the author of Hebrews was writing to this community of followers of Jesus, and he 's quite passionate and he 's focusing. On Christ like he, he, he really wants to uphold Christ he wants to talk about his life his death and his resurrection and so the first 10 chapters of Hebrews if you guys were around a couple years ago we did a whole series through Hebrews and the first 10 chapters of Hebrews is this amazing like beautiful statement that's exalting Jesus it's proclaiming to this church to this congregation of people um, like it's lifting up Jesus in front of those people, these people that have forgotten their first priority. They've forgotten their first commitment to Christ. And some of us in this room know what that's like to actually turn our back on the Lord, to maybe wane a little bit in our relationship with him, to have experienced so much in our life that we begin to get tired. And we begin to put our guard down and we begin to forget what it is Jesus has done for us. And so he's writing to this church that, has um, forgotten their first priority. They've forgotten their convictions. And so this book exalts Jesus as God. This Jesus as God who became human uh, the the one who came to do what you and I could never do for ourselves, um, the 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 one who could help us become the humans that we could have never been without him, to empower us supernaturally. And so, Jesus, again, as the author talks about, he he took into himself the consequences of our sin. Jesus took that upon him. He took our sin and our brokenness, and he conquered it with his love in rising from the grave. Amen. Through his, through his grace, like by his love, he. He ra- raises from the grave and, he- grave and he conquers sin once and for all, for those that would put their faith or their trust in God. And so as we ask this question this morning, what is faith? I really think it's important that we look in the book of Hebrews and see how the author of Hebrews defines faith. Like how, how is faith defined? So at the end of chapter 10, if you guys would look there, the is encouraging the believers to remember the former days, he says, when they endured great suffering and persecution because of their faith in Jesus, when they actually went through severe trials because of their um, faith in the Lord. And he goes on to say that they showed sympathy to the prisoners, that they accepted joyfully the taking of their property, like as their property is being seized, that they were willing to do that. They accepted it joyfully, this persecution that they're under, that they they knew that they had this better possession than their physical assets, this eternal hope, this glory, this, this faith in Jesus that was far, far surmounted their assets here on this earth. But for these Christians, this race for them had been long and tiring. And so they're tired, and when you've been giving of yourself over and over again, how many of you know that you need some strength? Anybody in this room, like, giving of yourself so much to a point that you need some strength? You need endurance. And so the author of Hebrews encourages them that when they start feeling down on themselves, like when they've given so much and they start throwing the pity party, like many of us do, they need to be reminded that that they were doing the will of God. And actually, they were walking in obedience. And he says that in doing so, um, that they will receive what was promised to them by God himself. And so they had faith that there was this promise that awaited them, that anything that they went through and experienced here in this life was small in comparison to the promise that lied ahead, that they had faith would actually come to pass, and, and so the, his statement is basically, you won't go unnoticed for, for doing right, and for being obedient, and your notice may not be on this side of heaven, it may not be on this earth, but one day, it's coming, and God will actually fulfill his ultimate promise, and so the writer uh, digs into the Old Testament into Habakkuk, uh, in Hebrews 10, 35-37, and um, he says this: Hebrews 10: um, 35. "Therefore, do not grow away your confidence. Do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance so that when you've done the will of God, you may receive what was promised." And now he quotes Habakkuk. He says, "For yet in a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by what? Faith my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Pretty harsh statement. If he shrinks back from faith, if he loses faith, my soul has no pleasure in him. So I want to stop right there for one second. So the righteous live by what? Come on. Act like you're a charismatic church this morning. The righteous live by? Good job. All right. The kids are louder than all of you adults. The righteous live by faith. And so if we stop having faith and we shrink back, God's not pleased with us. Because there's something about faith being that which propels us forward. We continue to have faith. And so what does this say about our faith? It actually says that it's something that God desired to be present and active in all those who believe in him. Faith is something that continually is present and active in us. Later in Hebrews, he says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. In Hebrews eleven six, 6. So we, we can't follow through in our obedience to God without faith. We act out of faith, in obedience. And so because at the core of faith is, the, is walking in and being led by the Lord and trusting in him. Ephesians 2 says that we are saved by what? grace through faith. And so it's interesting, even in Ephesians there, that our salvation hinges on our faith. We're saved by grace through faith. And so if faith is such an important thing that, that we need it to be saved. And in order to follow Jesus, then what exactly is it? So look at Hebrews 11. Um, there's this massive section of scripture here that I am just gonna read a little bit of and then I'm gonna paraphrase some of it. So uh, Hebrews 11 verse one says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the men of old gained approval. By faith, we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. And then he goes into a bunch of verses where he starts naming off these, these champions of the faith from the Old Testament that actually walked in faith. They didn't just sit back. They actually were moved by God to act in obedience out of faith. And, and so here's what the author um, of Hebrews basically says of faith. Much, much like James chapter 2, that it takes faith and works that the two work in tandem together, that faith actually requires action, that faith without works is dead, as it says in James chapter 2. So it takes faith to believe uh, the the beginning, uh, the creation of all things, because literally what we see was created from nothing. Like talk about faith. We have to actually have faith to believe that everything that we see that was created actually was created from nothing by God himself. And so we have to trust that that's true even though we never actually saw it be created. Has anybody ever struggled with that before? Can't wrap my brain around that. How in the world did that happen? But here's what's so cool about this section of Hebrews um, in chapter 11 this whole chapter is about faith. It's uh, our English word for faith often hinges on being something that happens in our head, right? Like when when we just throw out this word faith flippantly in everyday language, if you say you believe something, then you mean that in your head you believe it, that you have faith in something. And, And so we throw this word out constantly, but in our English context, we actually think of faith as something that's just mental. Like, it's just locked up here. Like, I have faith. I just got to conjure up the faith. It's just like, it's all in here. I'm just going to explode. I just got to have this faith. Anybody ever prayed that for that before? Like, just give me faith, Lord. I just want faith. Give me faith. And it's like, we want this mindful of faith. But as we read through this section in Hebrews, he begins to name off people. Um, he, he, he sort of re- proves his point uh, that, that Christian faith is um, always something that begins with reason, that it begins in our heads, but it's actually only completed with faithful action in our life. It's only completed through obedience. So faith is something that starts here, but it actually has to be acted on. And so the author proves this point by recalling all these champions of the faith from the Old Testament Uh, who were obedient and did as God told them to do. And so just to recap a couple, he says, Abel offered a better sacrifice than Cain, like by faith. Um, By faith, Noah, even after being warned by God about what was going to happen, followed through in faith and he built an ark. Abraham, when called by God, he says, obeyed in faith. Sarah, Moses, all were obedient to living in faith that God would do what he said. And so life didn't get in the way for these people. This is what's so awesome about this. They did not allow life to just interrupt and get in the way of their obedience and their follow through in faith, their fear didn't get in the way. Though it probably messed with them, their fear didn't stop them from acting on faith. And so the, the naysayers didn't get in the way in their life as people are speaking negatively and saying, you can't do it, there's no way. What are you doing? That's stupid. It did not get in the way. They continued to act in faith. They were obedient to do what God asked them to by what? Faith. They were obedient to do what God asked them to do by faith. Uh, the, the New King James Version, actually that verse 1 in Hebrews 11, uses a couple different words. Um, in, in my New American Standard, it says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Uh, in the New King James, if you guys are reading from that, it actually says that, that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. And so these two words, substance, substance and evidence, substance. It's that which provides the basis for trust and reliance. And then you've got evidence, which is proof. And so faith is this internal state of mind that that we get ourselves into about something that we aren't sure of and that we hope for. So it starts mental and it's about getting yourself sure about something. How many of you guys have ever stood on the edge of a cliff to jump, getting ready to jump into water? Like a big cliff, anybody? All right. Has anybody ever done anything that like freaked them out? (laughs) Okay. At least 10% of you have done something like that. You stand on the edge of the cliff and it's a mental game, isn't it? At that point, it's all about like, you're thinking through what bad, I could break my neck, my back, Like, I could belly flop into this water. Like, this could be really brutal. Or some of you are just thinking, like, oh, man, it could look so sick. You know, like, zero splash, bro. Like, I'm just going to go into the water like a pencil, like I'm a pro diver. But you're standing on the edge of the cliff, and you're thinking through what potentially could happen. And for some of us, the potential of what could happen actually causes us to walk back off the edge of the cliff, doesn't it? Some of you that are crazy... The potential of what may happen is just like, oh, I'm good. (laughs) I'm just going in. But there's this point at which, with regards to faith, you stand on the edge and you start contemplating things in your mind. And you can only stay in that state for so long, right? Because at some point, what do you have to do with what it is you're conjuring up in your head? You have to make a choice. You either back away from the cliff or you jump off. At some point, either you don't let fear get the best of you and you go for it, or you back away completely, but you can't just stand on the edge of the cliff forever. I mean, how many of you know, if you stood on the edge of the cliff for like weeks or months at a time, you'd go nuts. (laughs) You'd become psychotic. And so when it says that faith is the substance, that that word that's used in in the New King James, that faith is the substance, that faith is not just a mental state, that faith is actually an experience. It it puts you in touch with with the reality of the thing that you're hoping for. It's something you have to live into. Like faith is not just a mental state you whip yourself into and then go for it. So, So when I live and I act in faith, I actually begin to taste of the substance of the reality of the thing that I'm hoping for. And when you think about your faith in Jesus, there's some of you that have been standing on the cliff for so long. You've never even taken a jump or walked away. And what you've done is completely disregarded that which waits for you, that can only be partaken of if you move on the faith This conjuring up, the the stirring up that Jesus is doing within you. He's stirring up your minds, not to just wrestle with your minds and to play gymnastics in your head, but to actually jump in and trust him at some point. And so um, when I live and, and I act in faith, I actually begin to taste of the substance, of the thing that I hope for. And so in Hebrews it says that by faith Abraham went out, not knowing where he was gonna go. Sounds crazy. Meaning, by faith, he, he went out obeying God without knowing where he would be led, but believing that it was leading where God told him to go. And he trusted in. So, if you only take steps in life where you've already determined what happens when each foot's planted and each step is taken, that's not faith. And some of you are so fearful of taking the step because of the potential of what could happen. You're trying to figure it all out and you're not gonna take the step until you actually know what's gonna happen when your foot hits the ground. That is not the faith that Jesus is stirring up within us. So if you, uh, faith, um, again, I I guess I wanna iterate that Faith also isn't just some blind leap. You don't just go, oh, I'm just going all in for Jesus. I'm going to give this a whirl. But you actually stand there on the edge of the cliff and you contemplate, what is it? What's the promise that Jesus has offered me? What is the result of me jumping into this? If all of this is real and is true, what awaits me on the other side? And you think through that, and as you jump in, you begin to partake in that. But it's not just like you get it all right then. It's like you spend your lifetime walking in obedience, experiencing the hope, the joy, the peace, like the eventual, eternal home that awaits you with Christ. But you spend your life diving in and having faith. Some of you in this room... Um, might call yourself Christians, but you've got these really deep struggles inside. These questions that you've been asking and you're frustrated by Christians who keep saying things to you like, just have faith. Anybody ever frustrated with that, right? The Christian's like, "Ah, brother, just take a deep breath, have faith, jump in. They're like, stop thinking about it, just go. Just have faith. And for some of you that are, that are in your brain, you're, you're thinking to yourself like there's no way. But I would actually encourage those of you in the room this morning that are struggling, that are sifting through this, to actually begin to move towards those struggles in your life. Because you cannot stand on the edge of the cliff forever. You need to make a choice. Will you give it a shot and begin pressing into that? Or will you back away? But you can't just stand on the edge forever. Um, you have tons of testimonies in scripture that, that, that this this faith that we talk about, the, the salvation and this hope and this joy and, and all that we get to experience, we have tons of testimony in scripture that this is real. And you have tons of testimony in human experience even within this room from people that have walked this out that would say, that it's there, that it's real. And so what does it look like for you to begin to move towards that? And what does it look like for us to actually celebrate people's questioning, to not sit back and go, just jump in, man. Stop thinking about it, just go. But to actually move with them, to walk them through questions, to pray for them, to encourage them to take this leap on this journey of growth that God has them on. Then there's another group of you in this room Um, there's some of you that aren't questioning at all and you don't have any sort of intellectual or mental doubts, but you're looking at a choice that you have to make in your life. And you know what's right if you're gonna be faithful to Jesus, you know you should take the step and everybody might think that you're crazy, Um, you might get made fun of, but the question this morning is, what are you gonna do? Because you, likewise, have a choice to make. Will will you actually take your trust and transfer your trust and let other people come around you and and help give you guidance? Are you going to just... Keep this Jesus thing on the back burner in your life and keep circling back around to it every time that you have to when things get rough in your life. And you'll go back out and stand back on the edge of the cliff and dabble in it a little bit, but never quite jump in. And then things get better in life and you walk back off the cliff and you go do your thing and then things get rough again and you walk back out to the edge of the cliff. And then you question whether or not you could. What does it look like for you to jump in this morning? What does it look like? And I'll remind us all this morning that the choice is ours, that Jesus's grace is actually here to meet us in our our inadequacy and help us do that which we could never do on our own, amen? Um, Second, uh, second question that that was asked, what is a disciple and how do we make them? This is, or how do we get them is what they said. That sounds pretty militaristic. Uh, What's a disciple and how do we get them? We're gonna, we're going to wrangle some disciples this morning. Um, so, at a base level, if you guys turn with me to Matthew chapter 4. And I know we could bounce all around and find tons of references to Jesus calling out his disciples in various gospels, but I'm just going to stick in one gospel this morning Matthew. Matthew chapter 4, um, go to verse 18. We actually don't see the first reference to disciple until later, but here in um, Matthew 5.18, it says, Now as Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, who we've actually been studying two books of that he wrote. And Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of what? Men. Men. "'Immediately they left their nets, and they followed him. "'Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, "'James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, "'in the boat with Zebedee, their father, "'mending their nets, and he called them. "'Immediately they left the boat and their father, "'and they followed him.'" So in its most elementary definition, to be a disciple means to follow Jesus, it means to be a follower of Christ. Some of you are disciples of the Seahawks, right? Right? Some of you are being discipled by a lot of things you probably shouldn't be discipled by. You've become followers of various ways and forms and functions in society. You've given yourself to them. You do what they say. You've tried your best to become like them and take on their characteristics so that you can be like them. Being a follower of Jesus is being a disciple. It's becoming like Christ. And so there's three things that uh, we would... Three, Phrases we would use with regards to what it means to follow Jesus, what a follower is, a follower is somebody who knows Jesus, a follower is somebody who becomes like Jesus, and a follower is somebody who does what Jesus said. Now, the reason why these three different uh, th- these three different characteristics are important is because one, you got to know Jesus, right? You can't become a follower of something unless you know that thing that you're going to follow. And so for a follower of Jesus, for a disciple, it's somebody who is going to know Christ. They want a personal relationship with the Lord. They want to enter into this relationship with him. They want to get to know him. And so they know Jesus. They, they, they trust him. They have faith in him and they have this personal relationship with him. It's interesting, like you go to Matthew chapter 10 later and you see Jesus start to call the disciples out. And what does he do Is he's calling his disciples out? He, he asks them to leave everything behind and follow them. Like they can't have any other thing in their life. It's like your money, your sandals, leave your staff behind, leave your jobs behind, Their boats behind, like your whole career. Like just follow after me. And so you see this group of men begin to drop everything On the job, they're dropping their nets and their careers and they're following Jesus. Why would they do that unless they believed that he was who he said he was? They knew who he was. And so they began to follow Jesus. But that was not the end of it. And so as we talk about becoming like Jesus and as we talk about doing what Jesus did, what's wrong with a person that just does what Jesus does? Anybody ever heard the term legalism? Anybody ever grown up in a church where you've been asked to do all of the right things? Those are all great, but we miss one step, which is becoming like him because we actually have to take on the heart and the characteristics of Christ. We want our actions, the things we do that Jesus did to come out of the same heart that led Jesus to do those things. Does that make sense? So we want to know Jesus, We want to become like Jesus. We want to take on Jesus' heart. I mean, man, if I was just to tell you guys this morning, you're going to leave here and I want you all to go downtown and I want you all to just go love people down at the Iron Man finish line. And you're like, cool, what the heck does that mean? Well, just go love them. Just go like hang out with them and just love them. Well, what does that mean? Well, in order for us to know how it is we're to love people as Jesus did, we have to actually know what was driving him. And it was the spirit of God within Jesus that was driving him to do these things for others. He had compassion. His heart broke for them. He had mercy. He, he wanted nothing less than to see the best for others. He did not care about pumping up his Instagram account. He did not care about his followership in numbers with regards to Facebook and his notoriety. Jesus only cared about doing that which his father asked him to do. And so for you and I, we begin to follow Jesus. We know him. We follow him. We begin to take on the heart of Christ, which might I challenge you this morning, the only way you're going to take that on is by spending time with him and reading his Word take on his heart, and then as you're reading through scripture, you begin to see what Jesus did and what he's challenging others to do, and you begin to look at your own life and be like, Jesus, what does it look like for me to take what it is you're doing in me and begin to move me to action in my life so out of the heart that you've given me, I begin to love people like you love them. It's not a legalism thing. And this is where the church has just missed the mark, man. Like I could stand up here and tell you all the right things to go do and all of you could go do those things without a heart that's driven to do it. You do it because Chris told you to. The worst thing possible for the church is for us to go love people in and of our own strength and our own heart. We go do that out of that which Jesus has done in us. And so, um, as as you look uh in Matthew chapter 5 uh we're going to come back to this sermon on the mount in a little bit but go to verses um Even 19 and 20 say, whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven, but whoever keeps and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter into the kingdom of heaven. You want to enter in the kingdom of heaven? Don't go do things because you want to go do them, because you were told to do them, because that's what religion says. You go do it because you take on the mind and the heart of Jesus. So, know Jesus, become like Jesus, do what Jesus did. And to be honest with you, when we ask the question, like, how do we make disciples? I'm gonna make this so stinking easy for you. Spend time with people who love Jesus and teach them to walk in the ways of Christ. And unless you're in the word and you know Jesus yourself, you have no business trying to lead others to be like him. We have to know him to lead others to him so that they can be led by him. So know Jesus, become like Jesus, do what Jesus did. <clears throat> the last question, and I'll make this pretty quick. Um, how do you love people who are mean to you? Anybody in here struggle with that? Maybe an office mate, maybe a spouse. <laughs> uh, how do you love your wife that's mean to you? That's what I'm gonna talk about. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. If you notice these three questions, it was kind of interesting for us to sit back and look at the three themes that were asked in like 40 questions that were answered, the three themes that existed in the 40-some questions that the kid, kids asked. And these were the three themes. Um, the, these themes were faith, the themes were discipleship, and the themes were love. Pretty awesome. And so if you notice, in these three things, as we sat back and we, as we were talking through these questions, we were thinking, it's so interesting how all of these things are interconnected with one another. Because even in these three questions, you actually see know, become, and do, right? Um, be, because if faith is knowing, um, and then you've got this whole idea of making disciples and becoming a disciple, which is actually becoming like Jesus— And then you've got this whole idea of doing. Like, what do you do with what he's done in you? And so, as we talk about loving people that are mean to us, look in Matthew chapter 5. and um, Let's just read through the, the first 11 verses there. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountains, and after... Uh, and, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him, and this is what Jesus begins to tell these brand new disciples. He begins to teach them, and he says, "'Blessed are the poor in spirit, "'for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. "'Blessed are those who mourn, "'for they shall be comforted. "'Blessed are the gentle, "'for they shall inherit the earth. "'Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, "'for they shall be satisfied. "'Blessed are the merciful, "'for they shall receive mercy.'" Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Verse 11, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And then he goes into this whole section on like being the salt of the earth and and you are the light of the world and the city um, on, a, on a hill cannot be hidden. Um, let your light shine before all men in such a way that they would see your good works and glorify your Father who's in heaven. He goes into this amazing, amazing message. And so there's two things that I wanna challenge you guys with this morning it, when it comes to, how you love those that are mean to you? In most situations in life, when people are mean to us, what do we do, kids? What do you do when somebody's mean to you? If somebody hits you, you do what? Hit them back, you know. Uh, like in most situations in life, revenge is naturally in us. Somebody does something to us, they're gonna be paid back for what it is they did to me. And so our natural instinct is to react and give them what they gave us. You hurt me, I'll hurt you. And what do we always say? Hurt people, hurt people, right? And the cycle continues on. And Jesus flipped this kingdom upside down because Jesus starts to say things like, blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Like, blessed. Anybody in here feel blessed when that happens? <laughs> but but this is that upside-down kingdom, that you love those who hate you, that you extend a cold cup of water to those that have spit in your face, that those who have punched you, you turn the other cheek and you take it, and you walk away. And so here's two things we can do in situations where when people are mean to us, how do we love them? One is that you refuse to seek revenge towards others. I think that's a mark of a disciple of Jesus. We don't take out revenge on other people. In Matthew 5, 38 through 42, Jesus says, you've heard that it was said, eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. And so as a follower of Jesus, revenge should never be our response when we're wronged or we're hurt. And yet so often it is. Sometimes we just simply need to walk away from mean people, which takes a great amount of strength and dignity and courage. But when we fight back when we're wronged, it only continues the cycle of meanness and hatred and hurt. And then the second thing is this, be kind. Um, kindness is not becoming a doormat and letting people walk all over you. But kindness, in the same way that we talked about faith as being something that starts in your head and begins to work its way out through your actions, kindness is the same thing. Because how many of you have ever had somebody do something to you and you immediately go, I should do something really nice to that person and I should love them. And then you just lose it and you just give it right back to them, you know? But it's like, it's something that starts here that we begin to make the choice to be kind to them. And why would we do that? Because our heart is that they would see Christ in us. When Jesus goes on to talk about the city on the hill, and the salt of the earth, these are all people that choose deliberately not to act as the world does, not to respond as the world does, not to react in the face of hatred the way the world does, but to actually respond out of love, to be kind to others, that God loved us first, he, and so we in turn love others. So um, I know we're, We're getting late here, and so I want you guys to grab like five people around you just for the next three to four minutes, and here's what I want you guys to do. I want two questions to be asked of you guys. Can you identify somebody in your life, and I want you to include the kids in this combo, can you identify somebody in your life right now um, that you need to love? And then second thing, and if it's the person in the group with you, then what an awesome opportunity of reconciliation this morning, Amen. And then the second thing is, how are you going to love them? And I want you to just take three minutes. Who's somebody that you've identified that you need to love and how are you going to love them? You don't have to say names. You don't have to even give specifics. But talk about that person in your life and how it is you're going to be kind and love them with the love of Jesus. Amen.